louder, I guess. I had a thought last night. I wasn't feeling very well after the meal. And uh, I went and laid down and I thought, you know, I'll call everybody and make it a one o'clock service tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I like that better as far as me being prepared and getting up early enough and this and that and the other thing. We have the wine tasting at three, so we'd have had time, but now we've got it scheduled. We'll do it. <coughs> Excuse me, but this is the fifth day, and traditionally, it seems, as we get toward the end of the feast, uh, people have had plenty to eat, plenty to drink, maybe not enough rest, and... Uh, Colds and various things begin to get to us a little bit more, it seems. I don't know if that's the case with us right now, but we have several who are down or nearly down. <clears throat> anyway, this afternoon is the wine tasting over at uh, Water Canyon Winery, starting at 3. That address is 1050 West Field Avenue in Hilldale, 1050 West Field Avenue. Now, as I recall, if you're going from here, uh, going past these and past uh, a ways there, and you'll see the border store on the left. I'm sure we're all familiar with where it is. But just before you get to it, I believe it's the turn before, to the right, uh, you take that and then go a block and turn left, and you see the winery right there in front of you at the end of the block. I believe that's, that's according to my memory, which is suspect at times, but that's pretty close to it. You'll find Field Avenue there, and it's... It's only, I think it's just a block, might be two, but I think it's just a block off the main highway, right and then left and you run into the gate. Now about that, we have it uh, scheduled from three to five, that's part of our entry fee, uh, and we can bring food, drink, wine, doesn't matter what we bring, they don't care. And we're not obligated to buy wine from them, even though they're a winery, uh, for the price that we pay. We can just do whatever we wish. Now, you can buy it from them, and I'm sure they'd be happy if you did. Uh, they also have a wine tasting inside the wine tasting room. Uh, we're kind of to the right in the pavilion there, and the wine tasting room is around to the left. Uh, they charge $25 for a wine tasting. Uh, so if you want to go in and sample several of their wines, uh, it'll cost you 25 bucks to do that. Uh, some of us went over and did that when last spring, I guess it was, and uh, I found the one that I like. Don't know if I'll buy any or not, but I found the one I like anyway at the tasting. But we're good, but uh, that's set up for four o'clock for a tasting. Uh, he's busy working around the vineyard and in and out, so he didn't want us coming in from three to five at our whim. So Jessica set up a four o'clock time. If anyone wants to do the wine tasting, they should go in at four 
and just pay their 25 and do their wine tasting. So everybody does it at once and it doesn't tie him up for two hours. So I guess that's about it as far as that's concerned. Now let's get back to Deuteronomy. And it appears, and I realized during the sermon that I kind of skipped around there in chapters 1 to 4. And uh, I didn't mean to do that, but I, I don't know how it happened. I went to Numbers, and once I got there, I just kept going and forgot I was supposed to be going back to Deuteronomy. But we finished that story anyway. So I think what we'll do, rather than go through here and try to sort out what I did cover and didn't cover, we'll just go kind of toward the end of chapter 4 and pick it up there. I, I think the point was made. We fear God and not man. We obey God and do as He says and trust Him to take care of us. That was the whole overall point in those chapters. So if we miss a little bit, uh, it's, it's really toward that point is what Moses was trying to get across. I want to pick it up a little bit in chapter 4, though. Uh, verse 24 he says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. He's aware of us, He loves us, and He's jealous of us. He wants us taken care of, and it perplexes Him when we don't do the things that allow Him to take good care of us. He doesn't like to have to pull back or to punish or to curse or to take whatever necessary means in order to get us back where we need to be. He'd prefer we stayed on the straight and narrow uh, and did what we're supposed to do all the time. But with humans, that's difficult. <clears throat> but remember, he's jealous of us and for us. And he does not like it when our enemies come in and do things to us. Except that, sometimes he allows it or directs it if we do not keep in mind who he is and doing our part. So that's kind of what we've been going through. But I want to pick it up a little bit here in verse 29 of chapter 4. But if from there, when he's put us in uh, the promised land... You shall seek the Eternal your God, you shall find Him, if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now we read that again in Jeremiah 29. Uh, it's said in some way many times throughout His Word, because that's the goal, is to get human beings to worship the sovereign God of the universe. And humans would rather worship themselves or something else. But if we turn to him wholeheartedly, for the eternal your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. And Christ himself said in his own words, I will never leave nor forsake you. The ones who leave or forsake tend to be us. He is more faithful than we are. And he won't leave us. He's always there for us if we will turn to him. That's 
But I wanted to make the point that this covers the latter days. He is talking to these people 40 and under, or actually 60 and under, if they were under 20 when the decree was made of them wandering. But they were still, for the most part, a fairly young uh, congregation. So he wasn't just telling them about entering into the promised land at that point, which they were about to do, but he wanted to remind them that the words he was saying in the past history we've been reading are for those of us who are in the latter days. These people would not last that long. <laughs> they were human. They were already anywhere from babies to 60 years old. And they would die. But these words are written for those upon whom the last days would come. Let's see that here. For ask now of the days that are past which were before you. Consider your history. Since the day that God created man upon the earth and asked, from the one side of heaven unto the other, whether there has been any such thing as this great thing is, or has been heard like it. Now he's saying that the prophecies in this book have to do with the latter days. And there were some pretty marvelous things that happened, like Noah's flood, like being in Mitzrayim and coming across the Red Sea and some of those things. But I think what he's saying here is that the things that are going to be done at the end time are greater than anything that has happened in your history. So pay attention, in other words. Consider this. Look at what's happened and realize something even bigger is coming along. And then, of course, all the prophecies talk about the end time. Uh, they were written back then, and some of them had a partial fulfillment, but the main fulfillment is here at the end. And you read all the things in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and understand what he's saying, it is going to be greater than the Red Sea. And I think there's even a scripture, I can't think just where, where he says it'll be greater in so many words, what happens at the end. So if you think these things were amazing and astounding in the past and kind of hard to believe in some cases. The Jordan going backward, which would be happening shortly to them in spring flood time. Uh, bigger things are coming than that. Are we ready for that? But I wanted to point out that it is in here. Uh, Verse 35, unto you it was showed that you might know the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. That's why I changed the words in the song to, there is no, Jehovah, there is no one like, there is no one but Jehovah. <laughs> uh, that's what this says, there's no God beside God. 
And he promised, verse 38, to drive out nations from before you, and mightier than you are, to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. He was giving this series of speeches just before they went in and before he went to die. Know therefore this day, and consider it in your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. Now, to me, that's very comforting to read that it was being said back then. It's being said in all through the same thing, said in different ways throughout the Bible. But he is there to be trusted. He will take care of us. And that's what faith is all about. There is none else. So you can be the greatest prepper on earth, but if you don't have God's protection... It's not going to do you any good. They'll take it away from you. Uh, there is no answer except God's protection, and he's going to protect the very few people at Zion. And the rest of the world is going to be turned over to the devil. And the population will be reduced, just like the so-called elites say it will be. Indeed, it will, because God is giving Satan the power to do that. So, Isaiah 8, 7 and 8 tell us very clearly not to fear the new world order. It says conspiracy there, but that's what it is. To take over the world, he says, don't fear it, fear me. Now, people will fear the new world order, the beast and the false prophet, and that will be the only source of food, and they'll sign on the line, their hand and their forehead, take the mark of the beast, and reject God. The whole world, it says, except for a very few who put God first. And they will actually be protected and preserved. But they got to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, or it won't happen that way. And that's what all of this is back here was written for, is for those here in the latter day, as he says. Let's go on to chapter 5 then. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. One thing to know about them, it's another thing to learn them and to keep them and do them. That's where it gets sticky. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even to us, who are all of us here alive this day. So they'd wandered for 40 years, but there they were, uh, and God had given them the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and he's addressing that and repeating it here in Deuteronomy, lest they forget uh, then he went on in that particular speech and went through the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's probably the most important part in here. We know them, so I could skip over them, but I think that we'll take a, a brief look at them anyway. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. 
I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mountain. But here's what God taught us, saying, I am the Eternal your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the only God. Don't try to make a God out of anything else, be it stick, stone, man, woman, Satan, uh, dollars, anything. You shall not make you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. That is in terms of an object of worship. doesn't mean you can't carve wood, uh, but it can be a chair, but it can't be a chair that you worship. There is a difference. You shall not bow down yourself to them, nor serve them. There's the point. For I, the eternal your God, am a jealous God, he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And it is a thing that happens in families is the sins of the parents get passed down. The children see them, they're affected by them. Uh, divorce, remarriage, all those things affect the kids to one degree or another. Sometimes very greatly and deeply it has an effect upon them. And then that effect that it had on them they often pass along to their children. So it does go down three or four generations before one generation's sins kind of dies out and that generation's sin picks up as well and is amplified and multiplied. <clears throat> but what we do affects our children. and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. <clears throat> now, that speech was given to several million people. Two, three, three and a half, we figured, I think 200,000 men is mentioned in one place, and then you add the women and children, and no, I forget exactly how we did it. 600,000 men, I don't remember, but came up with somewhere around three million. And here, he says he will show mercy to thousands of them in the Ten Commandments. I find that very interesting because he was speaking to a congregation right there that was probably still numbering at least a million and maybe more. And yet, the Ten Commandments said, and when it was originally given, uh, thousands. So God was realistic in understanding that there would never be, be very many, even Israelites, who would obey him. They were stiff-necked, stubborn, and hard-hearted. And even today, with over 8 billion people on the earth, there are just a very few thousand that will obey him and serve him, keep his commandments. Most of the churches of the world, and including America, don't believe in his commandments. They believe in the name of Jesus, and that's about it. They don't keep his commandments. 
So it really is only a few thousand who seek to work at and keep His commandments. You shall not take the name of your God, the Lord your God, in vain, uselessly or worthlessly, uh, or without your heart and your purpose. I mean, you can go through as the Pharisees did and physically work at keeping the commandments to some degree, but it's vain because their heart, their mind was not in it. And it was just something to use to be self-righteous. So their efforts were in vain. In vain means it doesn't do you any good. If you're going to worship God, do it in a way that will do you some good. For the Eternal will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. I think people look upon that as just uh, cursing, using hell and damn and a few things like that. That's not really what he's driving at. That's expletives and sure, that's not the best thing to use. But that's not taking his name in vain like claiming to worship him and then doing, not doing what he says, that's when you're truly taking his name in vain because you're going through the exercise of trying to obey and if your heart's not in it, you won't be in the kingdom of God. So it was all just a vain, temporary thing. Not eternal. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Eternal your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Eternal your God. You're not to do any work, anybody in your household, even your servants, or your ox or your ass. They weren't out to be working on the Sabbath day. Nor even a stranger within your gates. He's not converted. He doesn't really know God. He's a stranger. But he isn't to work on the Sabbath because that's something that you have authority over. And if you have authority over it, it isn't to happen. Your manservant, your maidservant may rest as well as you. That's, that's the one commandment that they deliberately disobey and disavow and set aside. And I think hate it as much as any or more. Uh, just don't want to keep the Sabbath. If they can keep Sunday or Friday, that's okay, but not the Sabbath. There's a natural aversion to that among mankind. Remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Eternal your God brought you out from there through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm, therefore the Eternal your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I hadn't thought of this, but this ties in with the Passover. He brought you out with a mighty hand and it was on the Sabbath. It was a Annual Sabbath, Passover. And that's the night he brought them out, was Passover night, and it was a Sabbath. So it wasn't a weekly Sabbath necessarily, but it was an annual Sabbath, and they all count the same. You keep the Sabbath, and you keep the Sabbath during the holy days. 
So he brought them out by a mighty hand, and even most of the church of God does not recognize that. How can you logically, in any form or fashion, say Christ was taken captive about midnight, same time they were sprung, on Passover night, he was tortured through the night, and mostly through the next day, hung on the stake and died before sundown. They had to get him down and take him and put him in the sepulcher before sundown. And all of that was going on while the church people in this modern era were at work or doing whatever they wanted. And then the sun goes down and they start to party. Christ has just died and put in the sepulcher. And you think that would be a time of sadness, of sorrow, of mourning. And yet we wanted to go to the pizza hut and chow down on pizza and beer and have fun an hour after he died and was put in the sepulcher. That doesn't make a bit of sense. But it's what we did for decades till we wised up. Anyway, honor your father and your mother as the eternal your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and it may go well with you in the land which the eternal your God gives you. Our society today is just the opposite of that. You're to honor the hoary head, the elderly. Maybe they learn something in 70, 80, 90 years. Who knows? But they are to be honored and respected and treated that way. And yet our society today forgets the old people and we're out here to have fun. So they don't honor them in that way. And rather than taking care of them in most cases, like it used to be in this country, you lived on the family farm and dad and mom got old and the family took care of them. Now our family is all over the place. And the kids get together and poke them in a nursing home where they get jabbed and jobbed and shoved in the corner to drool, and that's not much honor, frankly. Uh, I was very pleased that Al, uh, Al's parent, or parents, his daughters, came and got him and took him home because it was realized he was facing his last days, and he was getting to the point he really couldn't take care of himself, as he had been. He was 96, and he took care of himself pretty much until the last six months. But they took him home to take care of him through his the end of life, instead of dumping him in a nursing home and going back to Texas. And no, they didn't. They showed some respect and some honor to him, and I appreciate that they did. Maybe he's listening today. Maybe Jeanette can hear it. But I do appreciate uh, her and her sister for taking care of him and honoring him. And it's not easy when they get to that point. It's hard to take care of people when they're dying. Uh, it's a sacrifice. But if you honor them in the proper way, you're willing to sacrifice for as much comfort as you can give. That's what God intended. Uh, you shall not kill or do murder. There's <clears throat> uh, getting to be more and more and more violence in the land as we're not following God's commandments much. 
you shall, uh, neither shall you commit adultery. Uh, that's one of the very favorite sins of Americans. Uh, can be fun, the temporary pleasures of sin. But in the long run, it creates all kinds of misery and frustration and divorce and uh, you name it. Neither shall you steal. That's one that people really like. Uh, a lot of people get a, a true high out of stealing. A, they're getting something for nothing. B, they're getting away with it most of the time. And they get an emotional high out of stealing. So it's a very, very common thing. And it can be done fairly safely for the most part. And now in democratic-run cities, uh, you can just go in and do it and get away with it without much problem. They just watch you go away with the stuff. God said that's not the way to run a society. Is A society will fall apart under those conditions. And we have some major uh, big box chains that are going under right now because theft is so high. Neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor. There's another one that people really like to do. Uh, lie about them, gossip about them, tell it as if it's the truth when they don't know it's the truth, and so on. <clears throat> neither shall you desire your neighbor's wife, neither shall you covet your neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox or his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet it is the word I think used well, it's used here too, but uh, in Exodus 20. And covet means an inordinate or an illegal desire for. It isn't wrong to want your neighbor's cow, but you're not thinking of rustling it in the night. You're thinking of going and buying it from him and trading money for the cow. So that's not covetousness. That's a legal desire. You have a cow. I'd like to buy it. Okay, that's fine. No problem. If he wants to sell it to you, go buy it. But don't desire it from a wrong or a stealing or rustling standpoint. That's covetousness. That's desiring to get it for nothing. Anyway, these words the Eternal spoke to all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and with a thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them to me. And it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near to me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God does talk with him, with man, and he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Eternal our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go you near, and hear all that the eternal our God shall say. 
and speak you to us all that the Lord our God shall speak to you, and we will hear it and do it. They agreed. And then they went and didn't do it. <laughs> Just the way it is with people. It's so easy to forget. And the Eternal heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Eternal said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which have spoken to you. They have well said all that they have spoken. So they were talking to Moses, but God was listening. And he told Moses, yep, it sounds good. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So he says, they spoke up, I heard them, but there could be a problem. <laughs> oh, that they would hear, really hear. Go say to them, get you into your tents again. But as for you, stand you here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. So he gave them the Ten Commandments, stopped there, and the rest of the laws and ordinances he gave to Moses. Meantime, these people who said they would obey were out building a golden calf and dancing around naked and having an orgy. That's how long that lasted. So they were to walk in all the ways of God. He finishes that chapter. Now let's go to 6. Now these are the commandments, the judgments, statutes and judgments which the eternal your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. Here's what you're to take with you. That you might fear the eternal your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you and your son and your son's son all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. You can die early if you want to disobey and have a curse come upon you of some kind, a plague, and sometimes that happens. <clears throat> so hear, Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with you, and that you might increase mightily, as the eternal God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. If you'll just do this, you'll live in a wonderful land that just flows with milk and honey. That is, those were words of prosperity of all kinds. You got milk, you got pasture. Uh, you got something to feed cows. You got honey, that means that there's plenty of flowers and plants for the bees to take care of, and they can make honey from it. So milk and honey signifies a verdant land uh, with plenty of rain and plenty of water Plenty of everything they need to produce the crops they need. Now, you could name a hundred things here that that includes, but milk and honey summarizes it pretty well. <coughs> so hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, one Lord. And you shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
Isn't that what Christ said was the first and great commandment when he was here on the earth? And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So he charges them with the responsibility of righteous child-rearing. You can't raise your kids according to whatever you want to teach them that you think you're so smart about. You are obligated to teach them the laws of God, all His commandments, and you're commanded to speak of them day and night to your children, teach them actively to your children, so that they might know how to live, how to conduct their lives how to keep the Ten Commandments rather than screwing their lives up royally by breaking the things he says to do here that will keep their lives in order and happier with less penalty and curse and divorce and prison terms and executions and all the things that happen when you break the commandments of God. You're obligated to actively teach your children God's laws. Now that's not church, just church doctrine. That's not just Daryl's thing to hammer on. God says it in His own words and writes it here for us to read and then He holds us responsible for it. This is something that you are commissioned to do, not to ignore. And that's God's own words. I don't even have to say much about it. Just read it. There it is. Verse 8, And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, the ways of God, the laws of God, are to be front and center. You are to be living with uh, obvious awareness as you go through life, day by day, not forget them. Review them. Know them. Think about them. And write them on the posts of your house and on your gates. I have the Ten Commandments right there on the doorpost at my back door. You know what I hung under the Ten Commandments? The house key. <laughs> it isn't there right now, but I did at first. If you want, if you want to get in my house and steal my stuff, read the Ten Commandments first when you look under there. Of course, somebody wanting to rob or be a thief would not pay any attention. He'd just look behind it to see if there was a key. But at least he had that witness there if he wanted to pay attention. In other words, if they're on your mind and you see it as you go in and out of the house, now I have to admit with it hanging there, hanging there, I don't stop and read those commandments every time I go in the house. In fact, I kind of forget that they're there. I mean, they're there on a plaque, 
but I'm in a hurry to go, and I've got this to do and that to do, and I go in and out of the house all the time. They're there, but how often do I stop and read them? How much do I apply them and think about them, or is it just a ritualistic thing? Okay, he says, put it on your doorpost. Okay, there it is. Never see that again. Just a ritual. That doesn't mean anything. You've got to keep them. And it shall be, when the Eternal your God shall have brought you into the land which he swore to your fathers, uh, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you built not. He's going to take you into the land. A lot of cities already built. Farms already planted. Fruit trees are there. Just ready to be used. And you didn't even build them. They were just handed to you. And that's what happened. I mean, even Jericho, you'd almost have to say, was just handed to them. They didn't really have to fight. All they had to do was play trumpets and shout. That isn't too bad. And the walls fell down. <clears throat> and houses full of all good things which you filled not, and wells digged which you digged not, vineyards and olive trees which you planted not, when you shall have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest you forget the Eternal which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Remember that God brought you here and He gave you these things, but you get so busy with life and this and that and the other thing, and you forget all about that. And then you forget His commandments. And you start doing what human nature does, the works of the flesh. Lie, cheat, steal, uh, kill, whatever. That's where man goes. You shall fear the Eternal, your God, and serve Him, and shall swear by His name, not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around about you. For God is a jealous God. And lest the anger of the Eternal, your God, be kindled against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Don't tempt the Lord your God, as you tempted him in Massa and many other places. He, when we sin and do not follow him and don't honor him, that's part of honoring your father, is your heavenly father. You don't do that, and he gets ready to smite you. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the eternal your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you and do right and good in his sight. Please him, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Eternal swore to your fathers. Now, they'd been in the desert and the wilderness, and he's telling them here they're going to go into a good land, not, the, not a repeat of what they've been going through all that time. Keep that in mind. They were to leave the desert and the wilderness that they were wandering in and go into a pleasant land. <coughs> if you leave Saudi Arabia, Arabia and go into Israel, you haven't upgraded much. <laughs> it's all about the same. And the 
archaeologists and the geologists all say that there's never been a climate change in that area. That it is today what it was 5,000 years ago. So people say, well, that's the Holy Land, it's the Promised Land, and, and it once had all these wonderful things, but it turned into desert. And yet that's not what the research and the digging through the different periods shows. It shows you've had the same climate always. It's always been 20, 20 palm trees and three oases, um, so to speak. There's not been much there, but desert. Verse 20, And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which eternal our God has commanded you? Oh, you don't just read these to your kids. You explain them, and you tell them what they mean. Then you shall say to the, your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Mitzrium, and the Lord brought us out of Mitzrium with a mighty hand. And the Eternal showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Mitzrium, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Eternal, our God, for our God always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Excuse me. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Eternal, our God, as he has commanded us. So he explains, excuse me, why these commandments were given and what they mean. And we're supposed to tell our kids the history. Why do we have to keep this law of bondage? Why can't I do this, that, and the other thing? Well, because it says it right here. And God says you'll be blessed if you keep them and cursed if you don't. <coughs> Well, let's go on a little further. Chapter 7. When the Eternal your God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess it, and has cast out many nations before you, Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, God will kick out people who are stronger, more powerful, more numerous than you are. Seven of them. Now, is that God's doing? Or if they're stronger than you, how are you going to do this? You can't without His help. Even Americans have felt that God intervened at Normandy and other places to save us so that we wouldn't lose World War II. That history is there having to do with the weather and everything. And many, many people believe that God intervened there. And maybe He did, because it wasn't time for this nation to go down yet. It is now time, and He won't intervene anymore, if that's what He did at that time. Now, He's sticking the northern army on us, instead of protecting us from it. That's the difference. 
And when the eternal your God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show any mercy to them. Now here he's telling us what Israel should have done and should be doing now. But we have people like the Obamas and the Bidens who are inviting all the nations in to help destroy us. And that's why they're doing it, is to help destroy us, because they hate this country. They hate democracy or a republican form of government. They are communists, and they love communism. And they're trying to enforce it upon us. I mean actively. Been teaching it in the schools, been doing all this for decades. And now it's coming down to the point you either accept communism outright or you go to Hillary's fun camps and die. Just the way it's going to be. Neither shall you make marriages with them. Your daughter shall not give unto his son, nor his daughter shall you take, shall not take to your son. For they will turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Eternal be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. Now, the main lesson there, there are others, but Solomon, it was said directly, went and married, intermarried with all these other nations, all these women, and had children by a lot of them. And those wives turned his heart away from God. They told him about all the wondrous things of their gods, and he began to accept a lot of it. And first thing you know, he wasn't a follower of God, but a follower of foreign gods because he had married women who worshipped those foreign gods. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. Now that's what should be done in this country today. All these false churches, starting maybe with the Catholics, ought to be burned down, desecrated, and destroyed, and anybody who continued to want to follow them should be executed. Because we only worship the one true God, and His commandments are here, and His doctrines are laid out, and those aren't the doctrines they follow. They are leading people to worship Satan, whether they know it or not. And somebody in this nation ought to have the strength, the power, to deliver us from the Freemasons, the Catholics, and the Protestants who came from the Catholics tear down their steeples, waving the male phalanx in God's nose. He hates that. They all seem to have Washington's monument right at the peak of their church. What a what an abominable thing. They ought to get rid of the neckties, too. Same thing. Hang it around your neck for everybody to see. means the same thing. 
But we like to imbibe of the things of the world instead of the things of God. And any man who stood up to do what I just said today would be shouted down and suicided pretty quickly. Because they're not going to put up with it. Well, if anybody tried to stand up and destroy the churches, the churches would get upset, but Biden and Obama would cheer, and Hillary and the others. Uh, They'd like that. Then they'd invite you to be part of their deal, which is communism, which is just as bad or worse. And then if you didn't accept that and tried to go ahead and take them down with it, then you'd get suicided for sure. So tear their altars down. For you are an holy people. Under the eternal your God, the eternal God has chosen you to be a special people. To Him, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So don't put up with this garbage. Get rid of it. But you can't do that today and live. All we can do is be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We can't be involved in the politics and trying to change these people. That's for God to do through disease, slavery, and death. And then they come up to the second resurrection they'll learn to obey God. But our job is to do things God's way and set an example for them. Be a light on a hill. Otherwise, we'd get out our trusty muskets and go out and start burning churches down. That wouldn't work. It's gone too far. There's too much of it. It can't be changed short of God wiping it out and letting Satan and the demons and the elite, so-called, of this world do it. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. When Jacob went down into Mitzrayim, and the whole nation of people was only 70, pretty small nation of people. And living there in Mitzrayim, they turned into a nation of actually millions. But because the Eternal loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn to your fathers, as the Eternal brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Mitzrayim. There's a couple of thoughts there that are very important. God loved you. Let's not miss that. God loved you. But He also did it because He had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob He would do it. So He had to keep His Word. Even though there were times when He thought, Oh my, why did I say that? (laughs) But He was bound by it, and He kept it. And he protected Israel in spite of their sins sometimes because of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what that attests to is God's faithfulness, his diligence. He doesn't lie. If he speaks it, he'll do it. 
And he tells us here at the end, he will protect us if we will obey him. And he has promised that, and we'll do it. We just have to believe him and follow him and keep his commandments, and it'll happen. Know, therefore, that the eternal your God, he is God. Why would you have to say that? It should be automatic to think, he who created the heavens and the earth, the sovereign God, is God. That ought to be so easy to understand. But human nature doesn't want to hear that. The faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. On and on as it goes, he will always be faithful to those who obey his commandments. And yet we have a whole churchianity, it's not really Christianity here in this nation, who use God's name, use Christ's name, but they say the commandments are done away with. It doesn't just say here, except the Lord... It says, keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And we haven't gotten there yet. That means we're supposed to still be doing it, doesn't it? And if we don't, we're in trouble. And repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hates him, and he will repay him to his face. Now, a lot of these people that are so-called Christians would say, I don't hate God. Well, you hate His commandments. You hate His way of life. And if you hate His commandments and His rules and His way of life, then you hate Him. You wouldn't want to say it that way, but that's what it boils down to. You shall therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command you this day to do them. And if you hearken to these judgments and keep them and do them, the eternal your God shall keep to you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your corn, and your wine, and your oil, the increase of your uh, animals, the flocks of the cattle, and the flocks of your sheep, and the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. Yes, you shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. No abortions, no miscarriages, a child is conceived, is born without a problem, and you don't have the sorrow of a miscarriage. What a blessing just that would be. I don't know what percentage of people in our nation have had a miscarriage, but if you start asking here and there, or people start telling their story... There are a lot of women that have had at least one miscarriage, and some of them three, four, five, six, seven, and so on. And what a sorrow that is. And it's something that women basically never get over. It's always there, somewhere in the background, and comes to surface so easily. It's an emotional thing. It, it, it changes you inside, your feelings, your emotions. It 
warps and twists them to some degree or another when you've been through that a time or two or three or four. What a blessing that you have a baby conceived and you know you're going to hold it live in a few months. To know that. You don't worry about it. Because it's going to happen that way. God said it'd be that way. Even your cows and your sheep and your goats will have live births. What does it take, really, to keep those Ten Commandments? They're fairly simple and direct and straightforward, aren't they? Yeah, they're not hard to understand, really. But it's just hard for human nature to go against human nature and do the things that God says because you like to do the things he says don't do. So they do all they can to do away with those commandments and still hope that God will please them and bless them and put them in a secret rapture and they have the grace of God and everything's going to turn out even though I'm a dirty, stinking, rotten sinner sitting in church on Sunday morning, folding my hands, and going out and lying and stealing and adulterating through the rest of the week. That's not Christian. That's hypocrite. (laughs) That's what that is. It's hypocrite. Saying you're one thing and doing another. But it's hard. It's hard to do what God says when your body so much wants to do something else so often. And that's what this whole book about is about, is our struggle against God, or our struggle to be for God, and God's struggle to bless us because of what He said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in spite of ourselves. And He's kept those promises, and we are as the sand of the sea. But we won't be much longer. He's fulfilled that promise. It's happened. But he also has a lot of promises in here. If you disobey me, I'm going to destroy you. And we have. And he is in process of it right now today. It's increasing by the day. Verse 15, And the Eternal will take away from you all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Mitzrayim which you know upon you, but will lay them upon all them that hate you. You won't be sick. You won't have disease. But those people who hate you will. Wow, what a promise that is. We wouldn't need a hospital. We wouldn't need doctors if we would just obey God. If we would truly serve him as a nation, we would not need a hospital for any reason. You realize that? He tells us what to do. He says, I am your healer. If something happens, get anointed with oil, and the Spirit of God, the power of God, will heal you. But that comes with faith and obedience or faith that develops as a result of obedience. And our nation isn't there. Therefore, most of our people either have cancer, diabetes, or heart problems, or a multitude of other things that are affecting them. 
We would not have any of that by God's promise and His Word if we would simply obey Him. These diseases wouldn't come. And He wouldn't let sick leaders like we have today put them on us in vaccines and other ways. It would not be allowed. Because if we had been obeying God, God wouldn't have let people like this get in charge. But because we are disobedient, he tells us in Daniel 4, he puts the basis of men to rule us. You don't have to count back many presidents to realize these people are base. They're vile. They're pedophiles, if you will. Sick. And you shall consume all the people which the eternal your God shall deliver you. Your eyes shall have no pity upon them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. In other words, if you open the borders and let all kinds of people in with all their different religions, they will pollute you. You'll intermarry with them. They'll pull you away from God. And then he won't heal you. And he isn't. This nation is sick. If you still say in your heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Eternal your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Remember the things that God has done that delivered you. And serve and obey Him with your heart, and you won't have any problems. Does this nation have problems? Well, I think that's obvious. Therefore, you have to conclude we are not a Christian nation. We are not a godly nation, or we wouldn't have these problems. It's what he says here. It's what he promises. You don't have to be afraid of your enemies. Are we afraid of China and Russia? Yeah, pretty much. Were we in the Cold War? Yeah, pretty much. Nineteen, the great temptations which your eyes saw, and the signs, and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm, whereby the Eternal your God brought you out, so shall the Eternal your God do to you all the people of whom you are afraid. And remember, this is down in the latter days. God would deliver us as a nation if we were, indeed, a godly or Christian nation, but we aren't. We're a satanic nation. Our religions are satanic. Moreover, the eternal your God will send the hornet among them until they that are left and hide themselves from you be destroyed. You won't even have to do it. I'll send the hornets after them. You shall not be afraid of them, for the eternal your God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the eternal your God will put out those nations before you little by little. You may not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon you. This is they were to go into the promised land there. But the eternal your God shall deliver them to you and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into your hand, 
and you shall destroy their name from under heaven. Putin and Z would be handed over to us if we would simply obey the commandments of God. But it's too late. <coughs> We're not going to. And I believe judgment has been passed. 2017, when that eclipse went over, and we're going to get two more marks on it, October 14th and April 8th, and it will form the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of this nation as we have known it. The graven images of their gods shall he burn with fire. You shall not desire the silver or gold that is on them, or take it to you, lest you be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the eternal your God. Why would you put a male sex symbol on top of every church in the land? That's putting, as it's put in Scripture a time or two, putting the branch to God's nose. Sticking a phalanx up in his nose on our churches. What an abominable thing. And yet they think it's righteous. The graven images of their God shall be burned with fire. Don't desire their silver or their gold that is on them, nor take it to you, lest you be ensnared therein. For it is abomination to the eternal your God. Too much wealth isn't good for us either, because it's easy to look to our silver or gold or dollars or whatever instead of to God. God can't afford to make his people rich very often. He did with Abraham. He did with a few who were absolutely faithful to him. But most people, when given wealth, great wealth, forget God. They depend upon their wealth, and that becomes their God. So he can't do that with us lest we have our mind and heart turned aside, and yet we have a nation here who seeks wealth instead of God. That ought to be fairly clear. And God we trust, and we print it on a dollar bill, <laughs> along with Masonic sex symbols. So, there you have it in a nutshell. <clears throat> Neither shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be a cursed thing like it. But you shall utterly detest it, and you shall utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. A house with a picture of Jesus in it is an accursed thing. You have this long-haired, effeminate image of a false god who isn't a man at all in your house as an object of worship. And it more resembles Satan than it does Christ. It becomes a false image, a false God. That's all there is to it. Okay, we're out of time and we're down to chapter 8, so we'll stop right there.